I'm so glad you're joining us today, whether you're online or you're in person, uh, as we continue in this series where we're talking uh, about the questions that you get asked, that I get asked, uh, that friends sometimes ask us to ask for them, because they're so tough, they're so big, sometimes we're unable to face it. And last week we talked about this idea and asking for a friend of how does faith and science work together? And today, we're talking about a super easy, light question. I'll probably be done in four or five minutes. Uh, Why does God let blank suffer? Why does God allow suffering? You fill in the blank, whether it's the question that you've asked about why he lets you suffer, or innocent children suffer, or people in Ukraine, or Israel, or Gaza, or some other place in the world. Why does God let good people suffer? We all have this question, and we all experience suffering. As Shannon just said in the video, even if your suffering may not be as long or as painful as mine, suffering's relative, but that never negates the significance that it has in our life, right? We all, as humans, go through this. And so we have to figure out some way of dealing with it, because here's the truth. Just building your life on the foundation of being okay, like that's not enough. It doesn't get you through. And suffering, actually, it can't fully be understood. But it has to be experienced and survived. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to talk to you about what the Christian worldview, what a following of Jesus would lend us as we experience and go through suffering. And as I was thinking about this today, uh, it hit me that there are some really interesting phrases we use when we're in periods of grief or loss called suffering. Uh, We say things like cognitive dissonance, you know, you've said that, like, it just doesn't make sense, this this doesn't work together. Or we say, like, I don't know how this is going to ever have a resolution. How does this ever get resolved? And it's funny, you know, in music, we have the exact same things. Uh, There is the idea of dissonance in music, when things are supposed to work together, but they don't, and it feels really bad to us when that takes place. Anybody, music people in the room, you know what I'm talking about? Or things they're supposed to resolve in a certain way, and when they don't, you're like, ugh. Except that sometimes people use this and make great songs out of it. In fact, I want to share two with you. One is from a lady, this rose to the top of the pop charts. Her name is Shania Twain. You may have heard about her. And Shania did this song called uh, You're Still the One. And at the end of the song, well, you tell me what you think. Right? It leaves you like, you got to finish that, girl. Where, where is Brandon? Where are my music people? She, that is an unresolved leading tone. It was supposed to end at the tonic, and it doesn't resolve to the tonic, right? Right? How about this song? You feel like you're stuck, right? That's an unresolved cadence. Everyone knows he was supposed to not stop at the minor six, but go back to the one. Right? I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Zero. I am a musical Philistine. You get it. But I feel it, don't you? There's something else that's supposed to happen. It's supposed to finish. That's what suffering is like. 
We go through it knowing it's supposed to have a resolve that makes sense, that's not just chaotic, random, and pointless. And so often, it feels like it doesn't. I want to show you today Christianity's resolve of suffering. But before we do that, we got to talk a little bit about why we suffer in the first place, okay? So, so suffering is born out of something, and, and all suffering has at its root something that we call evil. Evil is behind any type of suffering, but there are different types of evil. So real quick, just for your philosophical worldview, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you for a minute. This is going to be great at parties the rest of the year. You can just go, you know there are three types of evil in the world. There's natural evil. That's like, you know, earthquakes and tsunamis and stuff that happens, the destructive external kind of deadly stuff, like that rainstorm we all braved and survived this morning to get here, you know? I mean, like that, natural evil. And then there's moral evil, and moral evil is the stuff that's inside our hearts. It's deceptive, and it is internal, and it is deadly. In fact, all of the human race is dealing with this. And then there's another one, and you can laugh at me if you want, but the other category is supernatural evil. Like, I actually believe that there are personal beings, non-human beings, we call them demons, that are actively at work to thwart the purpose of God and that have power. In fact, scriptures tell us that all of the earth is currently under the power of demons. And so all of those things are happening, creating evil that causes suffering. So before we just go give credit to God for all the suffering that he's caused, I do think we have to stop for a moment and say, sometimes my suffering is, well, it's my fault. Sometimes my suffering is your fault. I mean, not you exactly, but you know what I'm saying. And sometimes it's just the random effect of sin and its power in the world. And sometimes they work together. Like the moral evil of some person's greed to strip mine a poor country might cause there to be natural evil because now there's nothing left to stop erosion and mudslides take place and people starve. Or there could be a fact that somebody is so greedy they want to spend the smallest amount of money possible for a garment so they're willing to buy it from someone that's using trafficked people in sweatshops to create it. See, our evil works together and it's such a huge problem it's difficult to parse out where the suffering actually comes from. But, but that, that doesn't solve the real question that we all have. And that's this one. And we've been wrestling with this since humans first started thinking about God. It's the problem of evil. It's this idea, if God is all-powerful and God is all-good, then why in the world does suffering and evil exist anyway? Why did he let that happen? See, God could have made a world with no evil in it. He could, totally within his power. And if he did, you and I wouldn't be in it either. Because when he made the world, his choice, he decided to take a risk and to give humans something, and that was agency or choice. The ability to say no to the good and say yes to the evil, to the selfish, to the undoing of what God's intention was. He gave that at great personal risk, knowing that ultimately he would take care of it. He would fix it. But God has to have the ability to say he could have created the world differently. Now, we have a problem uh, because we think that, and then we go, all right, well then, so let me explain why this is happening. And the first error we run into usually is we say, well, God just, he can't stop it. Like, he started the world this way, and he's just as heartbroken as you. 
he's just as sad as you, but he can't, he can't stop it. He made the rules. He's got to play by them. You know what I think about that? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't believe in a God that has all power and then is like, oh, I'm just so sorry that you guys chose this way. No, if God wanted to stop something in your life and in my life, he could. And even though I don't like that and I don't understand that, I don't want a God that's simply as powerless as I am in the middle of it. Do you? No. So it's not that he can't do anything about it. And secondly, it's not that he causes it or authors it. And now your brain should be hurting. Because the truth is, what, what does it mean that God, if, if he doesn't author it, and yet he somehow allows it, what do I do with his character? Uh, D.A. Carson one time said something like this about it. He said, God stands behind every instance of evil differently than he does blessing. All right, let me unpack that for a moment because some of you are like, how fast can I get out of here? I don't mean he stands behind it in that uh, he endorses it. But if God is sovereign, then behind every time there is a gift, right? We know this. Every good, perfect gift comes down from God the Father. He is doing all the blessing. All the grace we have, that's from him. It's all attributable to him. It's all praiseworthy for him. But also, every evil thing that happens has to go through his sovereign hands. It doesn't get to be attributed to him, but it is not outside the boundary of his control. And this is where we start to say, my head hurts, and my heart hurts, and why is there so much dissonance, and why won't this thing resolve? I began uh, pastoral ministry with a lot of good answers. Went to you know, seminary, got trained on how to talk about things like this from a real technical perspective. And that might be what you feel right now, is that, gosh, that was super technical. I'm sure it's accurate. It's not helping me. Uh, December 16th, 2012, I was uh, finishing a sermon. I, I finished it. I stepped down and went to my seat right about there with Jessica. And uh, my phone was just blowing up. It had had all these text messages and phone calls from my mom. Uh, 911, call me back. And so I, I called her and I found out that my brother... His name's Jeremy, and I got a picture of him at our, uh, this was at Jessica and I's wedding, handsome fella. Uh, he, that morning, had had a series of five unexplainable grand mal seizures and passed away in my mom's floor. Doesn't make any sense. You, you can't philosophically work your way through that. What's more is that that was like the capstone to a period of personal suffering for him. He had dealt with disappointment and depression and addiction and then a fight for sobriety and then this freak accident that left him paralyzed from the waist down. And then nine months later, a seizure takes him out. I can't wrap my mind around it, but there's dissonance. I can't resolve this. And, and you can't either. You have your own situation. And when we're in the middle of that, what we don't need are good philosophical, technically precise answers, right? So some of you, your suffering may not be the same as mine. For many of you, and I know it, it's way worse. That's not the point. 
In fact, if the point that you take away from today is what a tragic thing Jason and his family have had to go through, then you missed it. Because what matters most is everything I'm going to say from this moment on. Because what I learned during that experience of suffering, and it lasted a long time, in some ways it still is there. Still have days that I'm like, what? Because I don't know if you've felt this, but this was my response. God, and I'm going to edit it for the room and for the internet. God, do you have any idea what you're doing? Any clue? Have you lost your mind? I write such better stories than you. Because here's what you could have done. You could have taken this kid who had all the strikes against him and you could have healed him and you could have set him free and you could have caused him to stand up out of that wheelchair and you could have put him in front of hundreds of teenagers and other people and tell them why Jesus is the right answer and how he had rescued you. You could have done that and think of the impact, but you let him die on my mom's floor. I, I had a lot of days weeks, months of asking questions like that. In fact, they weren't even questions. They were actually accusations. You know what I mean? You felt that way. We've had this experience so often that it becomes ubiquitous and we begin to think maybe we're the only one. And there were people like that would say accurate things to me True things. Like this one guy, he sent me this text, and it was a quote from Isaiah, and it says, no one understands why God takes the righteous, but he's sparing them from evil. Accurate. Wasn't helpful. Because I'm like, well, why didn't you just leave him here? You'd already gone through. What worse, how much worse could it get? What, what, why now this? No resolve. Two things that I learned during that period of suffering. Uh, and, and this is maybe the two things that could help you or someone that's asking this question. The first is what we as humans need is not good answers. What we need is presence and purpose. You need to have a sense that you're not alone because that's one of the things that suffering does, right? It makes you feel as if you're isolated, as if you're the only one, as if you're unique in that. And you feel like your prayers just bounce back or they just drift off into nothingness. It feels so alone. In fact, we find all kinds of ways to deal with that. This is just a human response. This one guy, he was a landscape architect in Japan. I can't pronounce his name. Uh, but uh, he created this thing after uh, his cousin had died a really quick, like three-month terminal cancer fight. And, and he passed away, and he was struggling with the presence. And so he created this thing. It's called the wind phone. Oh, one of our techs, Paul, told me about this this week. And I thought it's genius. The wind phone is a phone booth that's sitting up on a hill above this little village. And the phone's not connected to anything. But every day he would go, and he would pick it up, and he would talk. He'd talk to the cousin that he lost. He would talk to the God that he wasn't sure was still there or clearly wasn't listening. And over time, because it's so common to what we feel, 30,000 people in this tiny little village have gone and talked into the wind phone. And I get it. You just want to know you're not by yourself. In fact, in one of the great stories of suffering that you know even if you're not really a church person, and it's a book about a guy named Job, he experiences this, right? In, in the middle of the depth of suffering, like what happens? His friends come and they sit and they're quiet and they don't give him answers. They don't, they don't say 
anything at first. They're just with him. And everything's pretty good until they open their mouths. In fact, I was, was not going to share this part about Job, and I was telling Jessica about it earlier this week. I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to do a message on suffering and not mention Job. And she's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> so let me just mention it real quick. Job's experience is the same as yours and mine, that he wants to know that he's not alone. He asks for answers. What he gets is presence because God comes. And he begins to speak to him, not with solutions to the problem, because as a good friend of ours, John Ortberg, told me one time, talking about suffering, solutions aren't always possible, but meaning is always available. You may not be able to understand why, but you can certainly be able to say there's meaning here, there's purpose. This is not random, chaotic chance. Suffering can bring not just presence, but purpose. So let me try to give you a few reasons few observations as what God might be doing in your suffering. I'm not going to demean you and try to tell you, give you a super tight, thin answer to a really thick question. But, but I am going to tell you that it's possible that any number of these God is up to in your suffering or the suffering of the person that you love. And the first is that suffering often drives us deeper into relationship with God. It changes the nature of our relationship. Sometimes it changes it for the worst, and people go like, peace, I'm out. If that's the best you got, I don't want anything to do with you. That's fair. And some people, it drives you closer. And the truth is, for all of us, you have time in your suffering, and if you're there right now, like, you don't have to be on some timeline where suddenly you got to make a choice to like, press into God. Some days, it's just tough, and that's all right. And so sometimes for me, I would realize that my prayers took on a totally different depth, a, a completely different. And in fact, they weren't like more fancy. They didn't have bigger words. They were things like help. Jesus, have mercy. Why? That kind of prayer can lead to intimacy, though, that's deeper than you ever imagined. And there'll come a moment in your suffering, where actually you can choose. It's like it will ebb enough, and it, it's not right at the beginning, but it'll, it'll, it'll ebb enough that you can say, I have a choice in this moment to either move towards God or away, and I just want to encourage you, move toward him. When you can, move toward him, even if you don't get him, even if you don't understand it. Because he wants to meet you. He wants to be present in that differently than he has been before. In fact, this old guy that you probably have heard of named Charles Spurgeon, he said something like this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. You don't get that until you've been in suffering for a while. That's on the other side. But it's true. I had those experiences of saying, well, God, I, I, think, I think you moved. I think I'm still here. I don't know where you went. Because, again, I don't, I don't really trust your, your wisdom right now. And then I read this quote, and I think this really makes a lot of sense. It's from a Dominican priest named, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but Jacques-Marie Louis Monsabra, and here's what he said. If God were to concede me his omnipotence, if he gave me his power, 
for 24 hours, you'd see just how many changes I would make in this world. Anybody? But if he gave me his wisdom too, I'd leave things just like they are. See, we don't always have the understanding that he does of how he's working and weaving and doing something we can't see and we shouldn't. If that's your God, you need a bigger God. And so I've learned to trust that. Secondly, sometimes God uses suffering to to discipline us. I'm not saying that he causes evil to happen to you, but he is not a waster of pain. And it would be wrong for me to not say, throughout the scriptures, we see evidence that God takes his people collective or his people individuals, and he sometimes uses the pain we're in to bring us into the character and image of Christ. He disciplines us. Sometimes he uses it to make us long for our actual home, the new heavens and the new earth that he's creating in the future that we'll all get to be a part of if we trust in him. Sometimes he uses the pain here to make us long for there. Like, how many of you are um, campers? Like, get out in the wild, you know, rough it. Raise your hands up big, let me see. Camper, yeah, you like to camp. What's the best part of camping? Going home, exactly right. The best thing about camping is it makes you realize how much you love your bed and your house and how sleeping outside is dumb. That's why we camp. Sometimes suffering does that for us too. It pries our fingers off the grip of this tiny little life that we tend to make everything. My comfort, my ease, my trinkets, ooh. And God will use it to say, no, 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 I've got something way better than that. Sometimes he just uses it to accomplish his plans through us and in the world. And when he does that, often one of the ways that he uses it is is for us to become instruments of good through our own pain. And and some of you know this. I've heard your stories. Uh, I remember that same conversation I had with John Ortberg. He said, um, helping other people always helps me more than getting others to help me. Amen? Right? There are moments where you realize that, like, God has pushed me to use my pain to help someone else, and in return, I get helped. Uh, the scriptures have been telling us this for a long time. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. That's a lot of comfort. But it's because there's also a lot of trouble. And so he says, I'm going to take what you've been through that I did not cause, but I will not waste, and I will turn you into an instrument of my grace for other people. And that's a purpose sometimes. Peter wrote about it like this in 1 Peter 5. He says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, that's what he wants for you. After you've suffered a little while, and I don't think he's being rude. I don't think he's saying like, Oh, get over it. It's just small. I think he's saying in light of eternity, in light of all that he's doing, it's a little while. And after a little while, he will himself restore you, make you strong and firm and steadfast. God himself will come and bring justice and make it right. He will empower us and he will secure us. 
The question that I have is how? Because I'm waiting for that resolve. And maybe you are too. And he's told us how. And in fact, this is how. The redemption of suffering for humans takes place through a suffering servant. God's plan, the risk that he took at the beginning to give his agency and choice, and I told you that he would ultimately deal with it himself, well, it came through the person Jesus. And Isaiah 53 describes it like this. See if you've maybe felt like this in your suffering. He was despised and rejected. That's your story for some of you. Your suffering is you have been rejected by the people that you wanted acceptance from. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's from a parent. Maybe it's from the in-group. Maybe it's because somebody thought that your last moment, which was your worst moment, is your forever moment, and they hold you to that. He was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. For some of you, that's it. You're walking through chronic pain. It says, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. We're talking about God in flesh. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. You can say, God, you don't get it. You can say, God, you missed it. You can say, God, I think you're wrong. What you cannot say and what I cannot say is that he doesn't understand because he chose to become a person of suffering. But it gets better than that. He didn't just do that so he could kind of know how we feel, although me too is a really powerful phrase, isn't it? When you're in pain and somebody's like, I get me too, I get it. That's powerful, but it went even further because he went through the suffering and experienced all of that so that he could deal with it finally. And you know the story, but maybe you don't know how it applies to your suffering. See, Jesus on the cross his last day from 9 to 12, he experienced the agony, the pain of all of that, the physical, the rejection But then something changed, and we're told in the scriptures from noon until three, it got dark and quiet. And isn't that what suffering feels like? There was something about that moment that God chose to unleash his wrath. That he said, no, I will not have my creation end this way. I will not allow this to be what happens to the children that I love, that I created, that I formed. I will not let it go this way. And he unleashes holy anger against all that injustice in Christ. And for three hours he dealt with it and the world turned its head. And then we hear him say something that you and I know a whole lot about. In Matthew 27, 46, he cried out, Eli, Eli, Eloth, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was begging for presence. And it gets even better than that. Because after that, taken down from a cross, placed in a tomb, dead and quiet, God was at work. And what he did was bring him back from the dead, raising him in victory. Folks, that moment at the cross, that was like the pinnacle. That's where hell and evil and sin and Satan and all of it unleashed everything it had on him. And it thought that it killed God. But it turned out it just committed suicide. 
because Jesus risen from the grave broke the back of evil. He stopped suffering. And while we still live in a time where it's not fully done, he ended it on Calvary. He will one day finish it in history and we will celebrate it for eternity. And that's really, really good news. That's good news no matter where you find yourself in your pain and in your suffering. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says like this, for our light and momentary trouble. It's real. You feel it. It's significant. He's not downplaying it. What he's saying is that what you're going through now in 10,000 years will not feel as painful or as heavy as you think in this moment because it's achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that outweighs all the trouble. Um. Some of you know I'm an LSU football fan, which our games usually happen at night, East Coast time, which means they always start right about the time we're beginning the Saturday night service. And, and so I record and watch a lot of games later. And uh, what's interesting, sometimes I'll come home, you know, on my drive back from the service, I'm so excited to watch the game, you know, and, and see the drama unfold. And one of my knucklehead friends will text me and be like, great win tonight. I'm like, Why? three hours, ah, you know, and, and then I'll watch the game, and there'll be a moment where the quarterback throws an interception, or they fumble, or something happens, and I'm like, why'd you do that, but when I know the outcome, it just doesn't sting as bad, you know, I still wonder, like, what were they thinking, that doesn't make any sense, but I'm not all thrown off, because I know they win the game. This is the truth for you and me if you're in Christ. If you have chosen to place your weight, lean yourself on that rock, that life, death, and resurrection of Christ, you know how the game ends. And you still have to walk through the pain for now, but it will be small and light and momentary seeming in eternity. Because Jesus said, I will take care of this myself. Don't you love that? So good. See, here's my last point. Evil, it may conduct a symphony of suffering, but it doesn't get to play the last note. Jesus will resolve that chord one day in glory. And my struggle and your struggle, my missing my brother still and the pain that I feel of that and the other hundred things that have happened in my life and in yours, oh, that's real. But it's only going to make it sweeter whenever I am basking in the goodness of God that's going to last forever. Tim Keller said this, a guy who walked through suffering straight to the end. He said that Christianity, and this is why I think you should choose it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is why I think you should be. Because you got to go through it anyway. But he said Christianity offers not merely a consolation, but a restoration. Not just the life we had, but the life we always wanted and never achieved. And because the joy will be even greater for all that evil, it means that the final defeat of all those forces, moral, natural, supernatural, that would have destroyed the purpose of God in creation, to live with his people in glory and delight forever. That's how it ends. And that's the invitation you have today. Come to him with your suffering. And allow him to be present and give you purpose. Let's pray. Father, 
thank you for story after story that we find in the scriptures, but also in this room, in our collective life experience. We have watched you be faithful. God, we have all had and will continue to have seasons of suffering. And yet, you promise we're not alone. God, I pray that you would take the truth of what we read in Scripture, the truth of what you've been up to behind the scenes, and and we would apply it in a way that's not just theoretical, but God, we'd live our life based on that. That we would believe deep in our souls that you have a purpose, that you did not cause what we go through, but you will never waste what we go through. And that ultimately, our eyes can be fixed on what is eternal, not what is temporary. On what we can't see with our flesh, but what our heart longs for. And God, would you make us people of that kind of hope. To carry it into a world that doesn't know what to do with suffering. Let us be people that participate in the redemption of that. Until you return to consummate it all. Jesus, we pray in your name. We're so grateful you chose to walk that path of suffering so that you could play the final note. And it's in that beautiful, strong name we pray. Amen.